Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 17. Let's read along with David in the first half of this psalm as he describes his relationship with the Lord in the first eight verses. And then in the next six verses, he describes the wicked that were all around him and hated him. And he closes out in the 15th verse, describing what a better lot he had than any of them. Amen. The 15 verses of Psalm 17. Let's all stand together and read the precious word of God in unison as we worship the Lord with a psalm. Yes. Inspired words by our brother and prophet David. Together, hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry, give ear unto my prayer, that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart, thou hast visited me in the night, Thou hast tried me, and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, For thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. They are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure, they are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Did you love it? Do you love the word of his mouth? The words of his lips? What a wonderful psalm. But they're all wonderful. Very quickly, hear the right. 
Can you pray that way? Hear the right. David was describing himself, his cause, his prayer. Hear the right, O Lord. I have conducted myself as an upright man. I have lived righteously. These enemies of mine have not. Hear the right. Can you pray that way? Can a man pray that way who is not getting along 100% as if he were on his honeymoon with his wife? 1 Peter 3, 7 tells husbands, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Let your prayers be not hindered. Can you make that prayer if you're not happy with your wife and see there's something far more important than you being happy with your wife? Because that's no measure of anything. It's how happy is your wife with you. It's all measured by the perception of your spouse. We don't care what you think about how you treat your spouse. How does your spouse know you treat them? I know it's a higher standard because I'm not going to let you escape the force of God's Word. 1 Peter 3, 7 does not tell us that your prayers will not be hindered if you think you're a good husband. Your prayers will not be hindered if your wife is one happy creature because you make her so happy. I wish I could have 15 minutes right now for two people to leave this assembly. One in the second row and one in the pulpit. But I hope I've done enough before I got here. Anyway, relationships. They're painful, aren't they? Relationships. The Lord wants righteous relationships. Hear the right, O Lord. If you're not getting along well with your spouse, your prayers are not hindered. Your prayers are hindered. They're not heard. And you can't pray like Psalm 17.1. If you're not getting along with your children, your prayers are not heard. It has nothing to do with your children. It has everything to do with you. Children cannot break a parent-child relationship from the parent's standpoint. John the Baptist, and I will be preaching this again this day, he came to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Because to be prepared for the Lord requires great family relationships. It's the Word of God. It's not my idea. I'd have gentler ideas. Easier ideas. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let there not be a hypocrite in our midst. Let there not be a hypocrite on your piece of foam rubber. Because my prayer is not going up to you out of feigned lips. I am not giving you words in prayer that are inconsistent with a life of godliness. Can we all say that this morning? If you can't say that this morning, then make it right in a two-second prayer to the God of heaven, repenting of your foolishness and your sins. Right. Hear the right, O Lord, attend to my cry. Now he's, he's claiming that the Lord owes to, should hear him. Give ear. Hear. Attend. Give ear. Unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. I'm not praying to you with mere words that do not match up with the life I've lived in the days and hours coming up to this prayer. 
Are you all with me on what the first verse tells us in this psalm? Lord, save us from hypocrisy. No hypocrites. Our lives in secret and at home must match exactly how we pray and worship. Verse 2, let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Amen. The judge of all the earth, let my sentence come from him. The judges of this world are pretty easily bought off. The judges of this world make lots of mistakes. The judges of this world think that a precedent is enough force to make a judgment in the present. When the president, when the president could have been bought off and based in ignorance as much as the man who's ignorant and needs to go look for a precedent. You say, I can't follow all that. All it means is, I want my sentence from the throne of heaven. I want my sentence coming from God, who is absolutely fair and just. And so David says, let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. You weigh everything, how I have treated my enemies, and how my enemies have treated me. You weigh that, and let my sentence come from thee. Do you love all your enemies? Do you overcome their evil with good? Do you pray for those that despitefully use you? Do you bless those that curse you? Do you good, do you do good to them? Then we can get before the Lord and say, forget the scales of justice on some little lady in New York Harbor. Okay? The scales of justice of Almighty God. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. You measure everything. And see who has conducted himself equitably with justice and righteousness, judgment and uprightness. You know what side I want to err on when I make a prayer like that? And we, you say, well, I wouldn't pray like that. Sorry, you just did. We just read the psalm. You say, well, I wasn't thinking about it when we read through it. Well, that's your fault, not mine. Do you know the best way to err is the err on the side of mercy? Forgive everyone. Love everyone. Do good to them. Forget what they do to you. Then when you get before the Lord, you can pray that way and your sentence will come from Him. Verse 3. Thou hast proved mine heart, visited me in the night, tried me. You're going to find nothing. And you have found nothing. Isn't that wonderful? I've mentioned this before. I just want you to know how often it is in the Psalms. David is often examining himself and then going to the Lord and saying, I've got everything confessed. David wasn't perfect, but he was perfect. How can you not be perfect but perfect? By confessing your sins and restoring your perfect standing before the Lord. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you like what's in the middle of this verse? Thou hast visited me in the night. Does God visit you in the night and and stroke your conscience to examine yourself? I kid you not, my favorite times of the Lord are at night. You know, I have praise rants on the back deck facing the trees and the sunrise in my neighborhood. But that's not the same as in the night. No distraction. I'm not just glorifying Him for His creation. I'm examining what's inside, what I've done, what I've said, what I haven't done, what I haven't said, because He comes to me in the night. Do you know about this? Or do you blow your mind full of rock and roll music, Hollywood television, and all sorts of other amusements and diversions that He hates 
So he never speaks to you in the night because you're his enemy, not his friend. According to Elihu, God oftentimes does this with men to hold them back from iniquity and to seal up their instruction. Job 33. I want you to think about the Word of God as we read it, my dear brethren. Look at that verse. You've proved mine heart, you've tried me, and shalt find nothing. Why? Because during the night God visited him and sealed up his instruction, convicted him of sin. It's a wonderful time to confess. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Do you think that might have been one of his sins? Are there other psalms that indicate that David sometimes said things that he regretted? And confessed? Look at the self-examination in one verse. He's proved me and tried me. He's going to find nothing. He's visited me in the night. And by the consequence of his visit in the night and him stroking my conscience, I have purposed that I am not going to sin with my lips. I'm going to guard my speech. Verse 4. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. The words of his lips. They're found in the Bible. I don't have the number of the words for you, but I'll look it up for you if you need it. There are 31,100 verses. The works of men. I'm not a friend of the world, O Lord, because the words of your lips guide me, and I have kept myself from the destroyer. I have kept myself from evil men that would destroy me, and I have kept myself from the devil that motivates evil men that would destroy me. The devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. By the words of your lips, I have kept myself. I follow the course that the word of your lips, words of your lips give me, rather than the works of men of this world. Hold up my goings, verse 5, in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. Now notice, when a righteous man prays, he says in the fourth verse, I have done this. I have labored more abundantly than they all, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But then in the very next verse, a righteous man acknowledges where the keeping of his soul comes from. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. Verse 5 is does not say, I will keep myself in your paths, and I won't let my feet slip. It's asking the Lord to help him do that. And so Paul would say, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me in 1 Corinthians 15.10. The wonderful balance. But we need to pray that prayer right there for God to keep us. Verse 6, I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me. Do you have confidence that God hears prayer and answers them? Amen. Look at verse 7. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. Do you believe that God has marvelous loving kindness? Do you... Let's get simpler then. Do you believe that God is kind? You know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. The Bible does a whole lot better than that, little ditty. Is He kind? Is He lovingly kind? Is He marvelously lovingly kind? Is He full of marvelous loving kindnesses? This is the word of the Lord. Do you tell Him that? He's unbelievable in kindnesses. He's unbelievable in mercy. He's unbelievable in forgiveness. He overwhelms me with mercy and forgiveness. I'm not mad at anyone but me. But he's so merciful. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand. His right hand. Them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Anyone that puts their trust in God 
is never going to be taken over by enemies because God will deliver them by his right hand. And it's bigger than the ham that's at the end of Foreman's right arm. And it's stronger than the hand of any man. And it's better than the hand of any angel. It's his right hand. Put your trust in him. He'll deliver you. His marvelous loving kindness. Verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. What is the apple of the eye? That is an English idiom that is also an idiom in many other languages. The apple of the eye is the pupil of your eye and the retina of your eye. And it's actually taken from the fact that they used to think that it was round, completely round. It's where you look in someone's eye. It's called the little man. If you look in someone's eye inside the pupil and then the retina, you'll see a little reflection of yourself. It's the little man. It's the innermost part of your eyeball. It's not an apple on an apple tree. It's the apple of the eye. Do you know what you do to protect your eyes? You know, if you're welding or soldering or using a chainsaw in a tree, you're supposed to have eye protection on. Because a little piece of sawdust or a little piece of wood can come flying out of that saw and hurt your eye. And once you hurt that part of your eye, you're in trouble. Right. You know, we protect our eyes very... You know, we blink so fast. If someone tries to take a picture of you, you blink as fast as you can to protect the apple of your eye. It's in the Bible a few times. Here it is. Keep me. Oh, what has he been? What has David been to the Lord? Like the apple of his eye. You know, anything, anything getting near David, the Lord's got his hands up. The Lord's got... I won't tell you about eagles and their big wings, but it says, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. I love the metaphors of the word of God. These are the word pictures that God wants us to delight in. Verses 9 through 14 describe the wicked. I want to tell you this about the wicked. Verses 13 through 14 tell us that they are God's sword and they are his hand. Meaning that when you see a man take office in Washington, D.C., or a man take office in Greenville or Columbia, South Carolina, or if you see any wickedness anywhere, those men are simply God's sword and God's hand to accomplish his good in the chastening judgment of this world or the chastening of his children. That's all they are. Oh, you say, what do you mean that they're, they're just his puppets? You got it. You got it. They're just his puppets. They're his pawns in the great game of chess. You're the sons of God. You are the princes. You are the knights and the bishops. You are the rooks and the queen. They are the pawns. He'll sacrifice them for the sake of his people. He always has. He always will. They're just his hand and his sword. They have their portion in this life because in the next life they're going to have absolutely nothing but torment. Their belly, God fills with head treasure, hid treasures. They fill the expensive restaurants that have multiplied in Greenville like never before. They fill them. They fill the subdivisions with the million-dollar homes in the Greenville area. Fill them. They leave an inheritance to their children. But that is all they have because their portion is in this world, so I hope they're enjoying it. Here's what David says in contrast. As for me, now David left an inheritance as well. 
And God filled David with every hid treasure that there was to be desired on earth as well. And he has done it to us as well. But look at what David said. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. We are going to stand before Almighty God, clothed in his righteousness, boldly. Boldly. Clothed in his righteousness. Received and accepted by him, looking just like him. Glorified forever in heaven. Sounds pretty good to me. You know, many of God's saints that have gone before us have not had any portion in this world except martyrdom. Look at us. We, we owe God thanksgiving and loyalty and service more than anyone. We have the best of everything. Let, let us not let the good things of this life steal away our love of Him and our hope of the next life. We had better be thankful, brethren, for all that He's done for us. He has treated us as the apple of His eye. May the Lord bless. Psalm 17. To your hearts. Amen.